Welcome to Someone to Talk To, a podcast about faith and life with me, Josh, and my friend, Jason. Well, hello there. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Or good afternoon. I guess it all depends on when you choose to fire this thing up and give it a listen. Uh, I'm Josh. We, After our first podcast, uh, it, it came to our attention or came to Jason's attention that we had introduced ourselves. So um, I think there were clues in the intro that you could determine who was who. But uh, beyond that, uh, I don't think we, we did a very good job. So this voice that you're hearing now is Josh. <laughs> and the other voice is Jason. So go ahead, buddy. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, this is Jason. Uh, yeah, we got to having a little bit of a conversation after last week about like kind of who was who. Um, so we thought we would just take a minute to establish which of these voices belongs to which person. And I'll probably just kick things off and dive right back into it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is I do, I mean, we, Jason and I have been doing this for years without recording it. And, um, have always done it in the morning so it's around 6 30 a.m pacific time when we record these um so we both drink coffee so if you hear a slurping that's just a habit of this this environment this fellowship has always taken place over coffee um so why why get rid of what works all right buddy so last time we were chatting um we were leaving things on a little bit of a of a cliffhanger do you want to jump into that or do you want to jump into something else uh, actually, I wanted to talk about something else really quick. Do um, it. Dive and in. It doesn't have to. This doesn't have to take up a whole lot of time, but I just wanted to share something that was significant for me that happened this last weekend. Um, it was my wife's birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Crystal! Happy birthday! Um, we decided every year for her birthday we take a trip somewhere just to get away for a couple of days. Um, so we decided to go down to Oregon to visit our friends that live in uh central oregon for a couple of days but the first night over we decided to stop and stay at my brother's house in vancouver there's a coffee slurp there it is okay so we decided to stay at my brother's house in vancouver that first night just to split up the drive for the most part because it's like an eight or ten hour drive to get down mm -hmm. to our friend's house um staying at my brother's house has always been um it's a good word for it. Stressful. Um, they both have, my brother and his wife both have larger than life personalities. Uh, the loudest voice wins. Um, they both right? do. It's, they both do. And <laughs> they make it work for them, which is incredibly amazing. Um, they've been together for, gosh, 22 years or something or longer now. Um, married for 20, married, I think for 22 years. So even beyond together lo longer than that, it works for them. But sometimes it's in the, over the years, it's been difficult to be around just because it's chaotic and it's stressful. And the environment has not been one that is calm and peaceful and nurturing. So every time we have this conversation about going to stay there, there's a little bit of trepidation mm -hmm. because it can be, it can be difficult. <laughs> um, add to that the fact that I've always been a bit of the black sheep of the family no. um, and made some, and made some decisions a few years back that affected everybody. Um, and those things, those decisions weren't right looked upon happily or with favor and i think that's added to 
the stress and the discomfort when I'm in that household. I'm not, I don't know if it's like that all the time. Maybe it's just when I'm there. Um, but this past weekend, so my brother and his wife have always been, um, have always claimed to be Christians, have mm-hmm. always, um, right, said that they were, that they were Christians and believed in God. But over the past few years, they've gotten involved with this very small church in there that you and I have talked a little bit about the church before, and we can revisit that sometime if we need to. Um, But they got involved in this very small church that is pastored by a a very, very close friend of my brother's who coaches wrestling with him. Um, And so their involvement became much greater than just right Sunday service. So it's like they're friends with the pastor and they go to events together and they coach together um and then the, there's of course church and that whole family relationship and because it's such a small church it's literally like family relationships relationships mm-hmm. i think there's right maybe 20 or 25 people in their congregation period so they right. all know each other spend time together um but the thing that we noticed the thing that i noticed this last week while we were there was all of that chaos and all of that tension and their home are gone. Really? Like, over the last few years, since they got involved in this church and since they've gotten really serious about following Jesus, the difference in their home is palpable. You can literally feel it. Like it was so amazing this weekend to sit in their living room and just be in this place of calm and peace and be able to see and feel the Holy Spirit at work. Wow. It was, it was literally like we left there Friday morning and it was like, this is an incredible breath of fresh air. Like it was amazing. My sister-in-law, um, the F word has probably been her best friend for most of her life. And it's literally like every other word out of her mouth. And I think she said one dropped one F bomb the 24 hours or so that we were there and she was immediately like remorseful and repentive that she said it like it was a it was literally being like being in a different home like being in a different place and being around different people it was just so cool to watch god physically at work in their lives right lived out played out on a day-to-day basis it was amazing absolutely amazing there's a lot to, I don't, I hate to say this word. I even hate to say this because I think it's overused, especially by Christian leaders, but there's a lot to unpack here. Um, oh yes, tons. <laughs> the first thing that stands out to me, Jason, about this story um, is something that you and I talk about a lot and it's hard to know. I mean, we're only, this is only the second episode of this podcast and, and who knows where this goes and what ends up happening. And We've talked about having guests. We've talked about calling Bob Goff because he publishes his phone number at the back of every book and seeing if he'll be a guest. And I would be shocked if he said no. Um, and, but something that you and I have talked about consistently from day one is Christianity and religion and Christianity and religion in America specifically. And one of the things that you and I routinely struggle with is is that some pastors and some Christian leaders, not all, but some, and some churches have this tendency 
to pitch this idea of Christianity that once you accept Jesus, all your problems go away. And I don't think they intend to do it because I don't think any of them believe it. But, the, but what they say is, when you, have, when you accept Jesus as your savior, when you accept him as the son of God, and that he died on the cross for our sins to put us right with God, what they say is that your life will get better. But they don't provide a ton of context when they say that. And I think that it's perceived better, right, is a perception and it's a personal perception. But what you're describing with your brother and your sister-in-law is what you and I know it to be. That when you accept Jesus and you start living a life of following him, he moves in your life and the Holy Spirit moves in your life in a way that to the outside observer or to the casual observer is noticeable. And it doesn't mean that your brother's car isn't going to break down, that their kids aren't going to get sick, God forbid, that any, that like a bad thing isn't going to happen. It doesn't mean that. It just means that their perception, when that happens, their filter for how they process that is different now. They are different now. Their lives are better, but that doesn't mean Jesus waved a wand and suddenly got rid of everything. And we've talked about this a ton too, that first century church accepted and acknowledged that things were bad. Things were not easy. You were watching in the first century church, you were watching the apostles get killed or, or hearing about them getting killed one by one. You, you know, Paul was suffering while writing letters. He was in jail at one point and they didn't complain about it. They just accepted it. And the big thing, and we can tackle this through many episodes throughout the future, but they didn't say, where's God in all of this? Where, they, they, that wasn't a question they asked. They just accepted the reality that they have now a new life. They have the Holy Spirit in them. They have a new perception. They have everlasting life. But that life on this earth is going to be difficult until that day comes. And I think that that's the one thing that stands out the biggest to me is you just told the perfect story of what that actually means when you have Jesus. And it's not always right away, right? You could raise your hand in church and accept Christ as your savior, but it could take years for that to pay off, right? Because that transition and that transformation isn't always immediate, right? And that's what stands out to me a bunch about that story that you're telling. I don't know if that's what stood out to you. No, absolutely. Um, and that's very, very true. Coffee, we sorry. had a conversation. We had a conversation with a buddy of ours last night about, um, we were just kind of talking about false, t we were at this Tuesday night Bible study that we've um, started going to recently and it's been really good, but we're talking about, um, we're in the book of First Timothy and we were just talking about false teachings um, and the pastor slash Bible study leader um, that's doing this mentioned that, all right, kind of casually mentioned that a lot of the churches in the local area, potentially unbeknownst to them, are teaching false doctrine. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think you hit on it by saying that it's not necessarily intentional, right? It's just kind of these things that we slowly fade into. Right. And when you're a church building and you have to do things like keep the lights on, Ugh, um, yes. right? You have to keep a number of butts in the seat, 
that are putting money in the tray every week so that you can do things like keep the lights on and not that that's inherently bad you've got to keep the lights on right right um so that you can continue to have services every week and you can continue to reach people and you can i get it um but at some point that becomes a goal. So what do you start teaching people from the pulpit that you're leaving? What are you teaching people from the pulpit that isn't, it's more, I see it as more sometimes like sins of omission, mm-hmm. right? It's not that we're, that we're standing up on the, on the platform and lying to people, but what parts of Christianity can we remove or leave out so that it sounds rosy and pretty and, easy so that we can get more people in to keep the seats full to keep the lights on so we can do this again next week um but the difference between raising your hand on sunday and saying hey i want to be a christian and actually having the holy spirit live out that plan in your life on a day-to-day basis is night and day different yeah Right. And yeah, it doesn't solve your problems. It doesn't make everything go away. I'm not over here on cloud nine every day because I'm a Christ follower. I have hard days. We have hard days, right? Stuff happens. We still live in a broken world where stuff falls apart and things break and people get hurt and governments crumble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Right. Stuff happens. Yeah that doesn't mean because I'm a Christian that I am impervious to the darkness that's in the world. It does mean that I get to have peace in my spirit and I get to rise above all of that, knowing that I believe in and live for something that's greater. And when that plays out in the actual day-to-day interactions in my life, when I'm a better person, when I'm a more peaceful person, Mm -hmm. when my my family is immediately impacted by that and they are better and they're more peaceful. And that's where the beauty of it all comes in. It's not necessarily in the fact that, right. Hey, I'm a Holy roller. Now it's in the fact that I get to live my life on a, as a peaceful, happy, blessed, and not physically blessed. That's not what that means either. Mm -hmm. Member of society. Right. And seeing that in my brother's home, was amazing amazing and it's been right looking back it's been over the last transformative over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. but this last visit was one of those where you really like see the impact and it was it was awesome it was truly awesome i you think about what there's so much that you said and i that we'll just have to do you know over the course of um different episodes but you said something about you know the churches that you know when 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 they have to consider what their mission is when they have to consider um what they're doing and and if they find themselves in that position where they have a a building and and that becomes your focus and and it should if that's what you're if that's what you have if you're a church with a building then you should have that focus you've got to you've got to find that place to have worship and you've got to have you've got to keep the lights on, like you said, but the first century church, which they called, which was the way they, they were called the way, right. They weren't even called Christians yet. Didn't have buildings. They didn't have temple. They didn't have those things. And I can't help, but wonder if they would have been successful or as successful if they were worried about putting 
church plants in a strip mall and then figuring out how to pay rent right like that wasn't what church was to them church was a gathering of people to worship and pray and it didn't matter where they gathered and they tended to gather in people's homes dude what i'm about to say is slightly controversial yeah but i believe that this is true the greatest trick the devil ever played was the creation of the american church yeah i i don't disagree and and here's the here's the reason why you and I have been to some churches in, in our day. We met at a church that we both still hold. I think we have a lot of regard, positive regard for our experiences at the church where we met. But how many churches do you and I know of that sit empty, largely empty six days a week? And if Jesus came back today and was living his life the way he did when he first started teaching, where he was not known to anybody. He's around 30 years old. He's not known to anybody. And he just starts teaching and he's building a following. If he walked into an American church, what would he say? What would he do? And I can't help but think he would go, why is this, why is my father's building empty when there are so many broken, hurting people who need a place? Not that they have to create a homeless shelter. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, why is it sitting empty six days a week? And it's not, again, they shouldn't be selling stuff out of there because that seemed to really irritate Jesus when he found people selling in the temple, doing a craft fair or whatever. But why aren't we allowing people to do meetings there every hour of every day? Why aren't we allowing them to bring small group? Why aren't we educating children? Why aren't we offering free preschool, free daycare, free, right? That should be, I mean, that should be the mission. You're paying for it. You might as well use it. And some churches do that where they offer a school or a preschool or even a K through, you know, whatever. But a lot of times there's then, you know, it's a fee-based. And I get that there's costs associated with that, but why not figure out a model where you can offer that for free or you can scholarship kids in and the kids who can pay should pay so that they can support. You know, it's like my brain just can't comprehend this idea that there are these big buildings we know, I mean, there are, there are mega churches out there. There are pastors who have purchased basketball arenas to house their congregation that then sit empty six days a week. My I just can't, like, I, I, in my heart of hearts, I just don't see Jesus being okay with that model. Find a way right. to use that building to serve your community six days a week. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, right. I think it's important that we mention that there are churches that do yes. that or are doing some right (laughs) modicum of that. Um, But not all of them, like here in Spokane, we literally have a church on every other street corner. Yeah. Right. And the overwhelming majority of them are relatively empty, except when they have services on Sunday. Right. And if you're doing really well, then you're a church that has a Sunday service and a Wednesday service. Yeah. I think it's, and it's just a mind, it's a mind shift, right? It's a, it's just shifting the mindset. Well, what it makes me think of is, um, and one of the things I don't want to do on this program ever is get political. And I think you and I are kind of of the same mind there. So I'm going to try not to delve into that. Shoot, that was my lot. next topic. I'm just Darn kidding. It. That, was, sorry, one that the, was sarcasm. One of the things that you see a lot in political realms and people's complaints about is the kind of the welfare state, right? And the overstepping of the government and providing services and whose responsibility is that 
and right who's paying for what and what do we need and none of that and that's a rabbit hole that we could go down forever um but the fact of the matter is that social welfare is the church's responsibility jesus the church was, a was built and established and in the like first that. century yeah yes very much so um the church was built and established in the first century to take care of the people mm-hmm. that was its purpose Mm -hmm. right social welfare is the job of the church but for some reason along the way be it expense or time or need i don't know what the the answer to that question is but for some reason the church stopped doing that Mm -hmm. and somebody still needs to so the government kind of picked up that tab Mm -hmm. and said okay we're going to take care of this but the fact of the matter is that's the church's responsibility right people were giving to the church people were giving generously to their church then the church could afford to do that. The church could afford to be open those other six days of the week and be providing social programs and church-related programs so that the people could fill that place that they need to be filled. I think, right? I'm reading this, go ahead. Well, I just, so like we, we both, what, there's one super, like I love a mission-driven organization. I love it. My, the business that I own and operate is mission-driven at least I try to be right. And, and I think it's important at this point, you know, about 30 minutes into the, our second podcast that we should make a big, bold disclaimer that you and I do not profess to be experts on anything, right? Like this is just you and I talking about what we think we know. And oftentimes we're the first ones to admit when we're wrong. So I'm not going into saying that I'm an expert at all, but I love a mission driven organization, but the most common church mission is to help people find Jesus, right? And that's a really commendable mission. And when you push on a church leader and say, why is that your mission? They'll always, always, always point to the Great Commission, which is in Matthew, don't ask me the actual chapter and verse, but it's where we are commanded to go out and, and, and make disciples, right, of the world. All the nations. All the nations. Here's the challenge with that mission is that mission isn't focused on service. That mission is focused on conversion. What if the church that sits empty six days a week had a mission of to serve God by serving our community? So now the giving talk that that pastor does is we're not here to make a service that people want to come to. While that's cool and we like doing that, we're here to serve our community. And so when you give to us, when you give to this church specifically, X percent of your dollars are spent supporting the community. And here's how we do that. And we do that by making this building available five days a week for childcare. We do that by whatever it is, right? That to me, I give to. But if you're like, hey, we need a new sound system so our band sounds cooler so people can enjoy spending an hour here one day a week, that frustrates me. I struggle to see how that serves God. What that does is you're making an enjoyable service for an hour. And there's nothing wrong with that, but is that the, is, but if your goal is conversion, is that, you know, A, is that converting? And B, is that the best use of those resources? And at this point, I wanna, I wanna point people to resources where they can dig into this and knowing that like, you're not going to like what you read because I don't like it when I read it. But we both would agree that Francis Chan spends a lot of time talking about that church model in his books and really has come to that same frustration level that we have, 
right? That there's a, there might be a different way to do this. Um, so what's the one that he wrote? We just both read it. Um, letters letters to, the to the church. So if you're interested in where Jason, and, and I'll tell you, I read Francis Chan. I want to throw his book across the room. I am not, and we talk about that. And I'm sure we'll talk about it. good human and he loves Jesus. Uh, but he has a philosophy that just challenges me. And that's not a bad thing. All right. So I had one other thing. Can I unpack something else with what you yeah, done with absolutely. your brother and sister-in-law? I want to talk about the F word and I want to talk about um, swearing in general. And I think that there's like a few schools of thought and you and I have been exposed to both. The most common school of thought in Christian circles is that Christian men and women don't swear. And I think that as we have set up and teed up this conversation about what happens when you follow Christ and how there's not a magic wand, that's <laughs> that there's not a magic wand that's waved, that what it's about is having a new perspective on life and a new way of thinking about how you serve others and, and all that stuff. That should be the defining characteristic of being a Christ follower how you behave, how you operate, what happens when you face adversity, what happens when people, when you, when you have people over to your house, how do you serve others? Is it, is it, how do you love others, right? We want those to be the defining characteristics of being a Christ follower. If the defining characteristics of a Christ follower is they don't smoke, they don't drink, and they don't swear, does that really point a light to Jesus? And so, again, another person that talks about this a lot is John Eldridge, who basically talks about how the church has unintentionally neutered men and, and, and a Christian man by convincing them that good Christian men are just really nice. Don't get upset. Don't swear. Don't drink. Don't curse. And he's not advocating that you're a Christian and guess what? You still get to drink curse and all those. But what he is saying is like, those aren't the defining characteristics. So what I love about the story with your brother and your sister-in-law is that in their journey, their years-long journey of following Christ, swearing was not the thing that the Holy Spirit went after right away. You right. know this. You know that there were other behaviors that he was working along the way. Oh, yeah. And it led to this, what seemed like to you, an overnight change. Swearing right. for me was just the first thing he went after. Swearing, and then this sounds stupid, but following all the rules of the road. The Holy Spirit moved on me and said, these are two things that you can do individually, Josh, to show life change in a big way. And people will comment. It's so funny. People will swear around me and then immediately apologize. And I don't get, it doesn't bug me at all in the least. I've got an 18 year old. He swears a lot. He swears a lot. And I don't, it, like we, we have to go, okay, not around the littles, right? Not around one of those. I'm one of those people that random people swear at in conversation in the grocery store. Like, cause they assume like people, that, yeah, like, yeah. Like people I've never met before will be having conversation with me in the grocery store in line and drop random F bombs. And I'm just like, dude, I'm a pastor. Like, do you realize who you're talking to right now? Do you have any idea? Right. Of course I'm bald and bearded and heavily tattooed. And right. that totally goes out the window when you're at the grocery store. Right. Um, but I, I, I could not agree more with what you're saying. Um, all right. I mentioned last week I got, I was 38 when I met Jesus Yeah. and, um, I, uh, was probably, and started following 38 when I met Jesus and started following 
very seriously. And I was probably in my early 40s, 42, 43, before my language started to become an issue. Like I was still swearing like a sailor and mm-hmm. um, and all of that. And then, um, and I used to always say, I used to, whenever it would come up in conversations like this, I would always say, that's just not something that the Holy Spirit's working on right now. <laughs> yeah. I imagine I imagine one day it'll come, but it just hasn't. So I'm not worried about it. And I'm going to continue to talk like a 15-year-old. Um, and I did for a long time. And then all of a sudden, it was time. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, right, I'm a good person because I don't swear. And I do. Um, I occasionally will drop, I will drop the occasional... Um, swear word for emphasis i'm sure at some point during this show that i'll probably throw in an asshole seems to be my favorite word because that like just sums it all up um but that's about the only one i have left right right and i'm not saying that that makes me a good person and i'm not saying that that's like the right be all end all of christianity is that you don't swear but it does become a especially when you are around people that you know it becomes a like beacon of life change like Mm -hmm. there's something different and it's not that you just woke up one day and were suddenly like cured of your inability to make sentences right that didn't have f words in them it's right right, sometimes work yeah and i'll tell you it's a thing for me the the swearing obviously big big one early on and i just was really i was okay about not swearing in like professional settings but around mixed company i wasn't very good at it um, so that was a big fix for me and an easy one in the early one. But the road rules one for me, it didn't make sense to me. Like it would just annoy my wife, Natalie, so much. Like we like the actual road, like when you're driving. Yeah, yeah. Like I followed the rules of the road, like to the letter, right? So you don't speed. No. Well, lately. On purpose. Uh, lately, I flexed on that, and I'll talk about that here in a sec. But like, yes, I do not speed on purpose. I do not. I do not do you know. Uh, California stops or Idaho stops, yeah. right? I, I come to a complete stop, right? I use my turn signal, all that stuff. I try really hard to do all that. And it really didn't make any sense to me there. And then there was two examples. And the first one was, and you and I both did this, we were leading the small group starting point through our church. And starting point is a curriculum provided by Andy Stanley and his church at North Point, which is int- like an introduction to God and the whole thing, like the Bible and all of it. And I'll tell you, if you're sitting on, if you're listening to us, cause you know us personally, but you're on the fence about God, find somewhere where they're doing starting point and get plugged in because at least you'll have the information that you need to make a better decision, right? On where you want to be. Let me know and I'll do it with you. Yeah, starting point is so good. And in starting point, the version that we did, because they've revamped it, but in the version that my wife and I led for years, they did one of the sessions was for a whole week, follow the rules of the road. And we would joke every time about how I already do that. And this is the easiest assignment that we get during all of starting point. And then one year, one session, we had a gal who was doing it and young mom, her husband wasn't doing it with her. That doesn't matter. But I just, that's what I remember. And she said she really struggled. She was going to struggle with that. And she came back the next week and she told the craziest story. She said that she had this habit at stoplights of, like when she's making a right turn, she's at the stoplight and she's going to make a right turn that she just goes. 
And, and, and I might not be retelling it right, but she had this habit of doing this thing at a stoplight that she knew was potentially risky, but she did, and it never mattered. And this week, in the course of this week, she was obeying all the rules of the road and she didn't do it. And she was in that situation where she could have done it. And if she had done it, this car ran the light and she would have been T-boned. And that story just really hit me that the obedience to the rules of man and to the laws of man, it shows honor to God, but also a lot of times those rules are meant for our safety, right? But then the other one that's even more important to me is that as I got older and then had a teenager that was learning to drive, it becomes so much easier to encourage them to follow the rules of the road when they cannot say, yeah, but you don't. <laughs> so my teenager could never say, well, you don't speed and you don't stop at every stoplight and you don't stop at every stop sign and all those things. It became so much easier to coach him because he knew that I have a tendency to follow the rules of the road. Now, what I'll say is lately I have flexed on the speeding thing, mostly when I'm like on the freeway I do a better job now. I, I want to follow the flow of traffic because I've found that I'm probably a hazard at times, right? If I'm the <laughs> slowest person and everyone's going around me like I'm a grandma, that's probably creating frustration for others. So I've decided to go with the flow of traffic as opposed to just, you know, and, and then also reading other people like John Eldridge, I think talks about this, that those laws are obviously meant to, to keep you safe. There are times when the law or the rule doesn't apply because it wouldn't keep you un it wouldn't make you unsafe by following it right um so not that i'm like rolling through stop signs or anything like that but just i'm i'm not as rigid as i was but again that was a process that i go through in my personal journey in that and those are the early things that were tweaked for me you know i remember that exercise from starting point and if i'm not mistaken the idea of following all the rules of the road for a week was to show people that it was impossible correct to but follow you, the law right right 100 of the time all the time i remember like i remember teaching that lesson that day and saying okay this is what we're going to do for the week and then i literally sped leaving the parking lot <laughs> like it, it it took me all of five minutes to get out of class walk out the door and immediately fail there's uh so natalie just she'd get she gets so frustrated if we're running late to anything she knows i'm not going to speed and she's fine with that that's that's our life but if we're running late she gets annoyed if i don't at least just act like i'm in a hurry so she wants like both hands on the wheel like leaning forward like act like you're trying to get there in a hurry because i'll just sit there in my chair like in my seat in the car and just, you know, kind of go hilarious. Yeah. Like, can you at least I can totally like see you. Yeah. All right. So I, I don't rem I, I gotta be honest with you. So we, we were talking at the end of the last podcast and I don't remember about what, but apparently you didn't get a chance to answer. And uh, the only reason why I'm bringing them up is we actually had people listen, which is surprising to me, but we had people comment on your post when you posted about it on Facebook and somebody actually said they had listened to the whole thing and they were interested to hear your answer. So I just want to be a good host and I want to be, uh, respectful of our audience. So for the life of you, can you remember what we were talking about and what Absolutely. we left it on? Okay, good. Cause I just, yeah, I, totally I can. The one person in particular that commented on my post about that was my mom. Okay. Um, so I appreciate you wanting to respect my mom. Cause she yeah. was one of the four people that listened to us last week, which I thought was really awesome. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I think we were up into the 
to the twenties, which yeah. really surprised Double me digits, too. Double digits, buddy. Um, I, yeah, I was super. I was I was super stoked. Um, so yes, the question was right. That it's been said that you become the five people that you spend the most time with. Oh, correct. Right, and who are you? Um, and for me, those five people. I think like if I look at my life right now and I take a snapshot of who I am right now and then pick out the five people that I've kind of pulled from and taken things from to become the person that I am. Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, I have to say my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my parents gave me um, the foundation that is who I am, right? I don't think that uh, I don't think that my parents were perfect by any means, but they did well. Mm -hmm. um, they tr they tried hard. My dad's thing has always been, I did the best I could with what I had at mm -hmm. the time. And I absolutely believe that that's true. Um, so my parents, and I'll count them as, ma as two of those five. Um, my ex-wife actually... One of the things that she said when we were going through a divorce 10 years ago um, was, and this was pre my faith, one of the things that she said when we were going through all of our stuff was, she was like, if somehow out of all of this, you find Jesus, all of my pain will be worth it. Whoa. And I know that she prayed and prayed and prayed um, that I would somehow eventually find Jesus, be able to right my wrongs, which is something that I am still working on and will be working on for the rest of my life. Um, but I owe right, a big part of my faith to, to her and her prayers in my past. Mm -hmm. um, my wife, Crystal, would be on that list as well. And she uh, she is, she is amazing. She is just an absolute inspiration. Um, she inspires everything I do, every breath I take. Uh, like I know this is cliche, but she makes me want to be a better person. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of my life is attributed to, all right, being inspired by her to continue to, um, pursue greatness and to get better and to learn more and to be more knowledgeable. As long as I've known her, she's always been, um, like we have an entire book shelf full of self-help books mm -hmm. and she's always been kind of like the self-help girl. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's just this constant pursuit of something better. Yeah. All right. She's always trying to learn. She's always trying to soak things in. She's always trying to absorb things, um, like literally nonstop. And then, right? Take what she needs for her. And then I feel like she's got this other bank in her body where she stores things for other people. Mm. So she's got this, this is all for me and the stuff that I need. And then I've got this other reservoir to give out um, and gives from there. And the women that she has reached and the impact of the people whose lives that she has touched has just been absolutely again, awe-inspiring. And again, that just makes me want to be more like her. I want to be like her when I grow up. Mm. Um, well, that makes four and I have two people left. <laughs> so I have, so apparently my life is going to be the six people that I spend the most time yeah, with. Your math is wrong. Um, right. My math is totally, it's new math. It's okay. 
Um, I have his buddy Josh mm. that I met a handful of years ago, and him, he and I are totally opposites. Like, if you picked out two random people in a bar and said those two are going to be best buds, um, like I would have thought if you had picked him and I. I would have thought that was the craziest thing ever because we don't necessarily come from the same side of the tracks, but we tend to see the world the same, which I think is what really draws us together. Mm -hmm. um, and Josh is another one of those people. It's funny that I'm talking about you in third person. Like you're not right like here. I'm not me. here actually listening to this. Maybe it's easier yeah, for you to do that. Maybe it's easier. Um, Josh, again, is one of those people who has this relentless pursuit of better. Um, and that's one of the things that I always look for with people in my life is those people that aren't just stagnant um, and satisfied with where they're at, but are always trying to move forward in some way, shape or form, whether that's um, spiritually or physically, right? I don't, I'm not interested in sitting around watching paint dry with people. I want to be involved with you and I want to be involved in your life. And I want to continue um, to help you move your life forward and be inspired by you to move my own life forward. Mm -hmm. um, and you've been a huge part of my life for the last, gosh, eight years or so. Yeah, I was trying um, to figure that out the other day. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure either. Um, but again, so you're just one of those people. And then my other one is newer. Um, my buddy, Aaron, who mm -hmm. came to coffee with us once and you met. And Aaron's a younger guy. Um, I think he's maybe 30, just a touch over. Um, but he has this curious zest for life. Like mm -hmm. everything's a question. Why did this happen? And why is that like that? And why there's this childlike curiosity in him that just fires up my soul. Um, it's, it's awesome when I get a text message from him throughout the day that's like, hey, how come it says this in the Bible and what was going on during that time period that would explain that? Or, right, how do you deal with right, difficult people in your workplace? Just like random, hey, I'm really curious about this. Mm -hmm. And I think for him, he has said before that he's one of those people that wants to be surrounded by people that have been there, done that, and mm -hmm. can help him, right, kind of be go through those same things and not have to do it alone. Um, and that's always been super awesome for me too. So I think that's right off the top of my head. Those are my five. Well, count my parents as one person. So that makes five people. So now I can't remember who I said, but I will say this. Um, I think, so I look at like my relationship with my wife, you were talking about Crystal and just what she's meant to you. And I'll tell you, like my experience with Natalie is, is similar, but different. Like I don't, like Natalie doesn't inspire me to want to be a better person. And that sounds terrible, but that's not the process. But she relentlessly encourages me to be a better person. And at times it's so frustrating and angering. And at times it's been debilitating. Like she is somehow seeing in me something that I can't see. Like every sports movie cliche, there's like that one player who has got all this talent and they just can't figure out how to unlock it. And they keep telling him he has all this talent. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm that kid from the wrong side of the, you know, whatever. And she is constantly wanting me to be better and, and is encouraging me. And it's so annoying. Um, 
I used to joke early in our marriage when I clearly had much more work to do and I still have so much work to do, but when I had a lot of behavior that needed to change, you and I've talked about this a lot over the years, but we were both just like dumpster fire humans in our 20s. And, um, you know, Natalie and I met at the tail end of that for me. And so I brought a lot of that behavior and a lot of that bad stuff into my marriage and it didn't just go away. It wasn't like I just, you know, said my vows and the next thing I knew I was like, oh, I'm a good husband. It was like a process and it's still a process. But I used to joke with her early on that like there, yeah, that there was, I used to joke with her early on that like, all right, well, joking, I'd complain, I'd fix one behavior. And then she had like this other one waiting, like checking the list. It was like, oh, cool. You got that one fixed. Here's the next thing. And it, it was so, it was so frustrating because I think the way men tend to process that is that there's something like inherently wrong with us or we're not manly enough or we're not good we're enough. Not, not good enough. Right. And, and, and it really, it can be debilitating. And it took me a long time to realize that it wasn't that for her. And that wasn't where her heart was. And it wasn't any of it. It was that she saw something that I couldn't see and she knew I could get there. And it wasn't like she saw, and I really want people to hear this. She didn't see a version of me that wasn't real or a version of me that she wanted. It wasn't driven by like a selfish desire. It was driven by, I truly believe this. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to her and saying, this is how you have to encourage this human that I've partnered you with. And it's not always easy. In fact, most of the time it's not. And it has led to a lot of growth. You know, the, the, the God just moves in the weirdest ways. You hear that all the time, but like, he's going to use the spirit. He's going to speak to you, but oftentimes he's going to use other people. And I would say the most influential person on my life, short of the Holy spirit, especially in the last 12, 13 years has been my wife because she sees that and goes, there's, there's better for you. And the Holy Spirit's telling me, um, I did just come to, I did, I did, she did just reveal to me that it has led to, she is incredibly annoyed by me <laughs> because I am now so dedicated to that, that I have routine and schedule. I get up in the morning. I'm an early morning riser. I drink my coffee. I read, I pray. And that that's annoying to her because she wants that. And she had to confess how annoying it was. And then she said, what? Now that I've gotten that off, it feel, off my chest, it feels so good to tell you that you're annoying. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I think if you, if, if you're listening to this and I don't want to be in that place where we like try to tidy it all up and put a, you know, put a GI Joe, um, the more, you know, spin on it. Knowing is half the battle. Right? But you, if you're in this place where you know, there's there's a different way to think of things and a different way to look at stuff. I, the first step is just looking at who you're hanging around and are those people in your life, are they rooting for you and are they on your team or are they, are they, are, is it like, you know, to use another football analogy, did you pick them up in a trade and they're not a good fit? Right. And if that's the case, it's okay to cut them and take the salary cap hit and know that there's better for you. It doesn't mean you don't pray for them. It doesn't mean you don't send them on their way with a blessing, but dude, you and I have talked about this, but I've cut, I've literally cut out best friends who became junkies because I had no more to give them and there was nothing more I could do to help. And their impact on my life was no longer positive. And I pray for that person and I want the best for that person, but it may not happen in this life on this earth. Right. And, um, 
but taking stock, if you're like, there's more for me, take stock of who you're hanging around. And are they on your team because you, they're rooting for you? Or are they on your team because of a bad trade? Right. So oh, I think that's, I think that's a great analogy. And I think it's a great way to look at it. All right. We all got, we all got stuff and we all got things that we need to clean up and take care of. And right. Sometimes that just means that, right. Your social circle is your social circle because you've never really taken the time to look at it. Yeah. Right. And you, I think, are they on, are they on your team? Yeah. Yeah. And grieve Not it. Ever, it's okay. If they go, you got to grieve that. That's fine. Cause it is sad. I've lost some friends over the year. When you and I met, I literally had zero male friends in my life that I could consider good friends. Like if I was moving, the people I called were my brothers and my brother-in-law, my father-in-law and my parents, right? Like I had no good male friends. And part of that was just that newness of having a, a young family and young kids and just not a lot of time for that. But a big part of it was realizing that the people that I was around just didn't make sense to be around anymore in that way. And, um, right. and God went to work on me and then provided some really good male friendships, some of which like you bring big influence on me. And then some of which I hope I bring big influence on them. Right. So I think that's especially true. Um, not like you just hinted at, I think that's especially true, not only in life and in our personal relationships, but in our marriages, Mm -hmm. right? Not everybody, not everybody that's on your team is for you. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the things that we need to take a closer look at. Yeah. But on that note, I think it's time to put a bow on this thing and uh package it up sounds it sounds sounds like a plan sounds good all right well uh for all of you out there who may or may not who, who may be listening have a good rest of your day and keep tuning in we hope we have good stuff for you